Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. to the Chels. Another week has gone by. All sorts of drama in the blue world of Chelsea. <laughs> well, it wouldn't be Chelsea if there wasn't, would it? So we've got lots to go through today. All sorts of things from buyers, new buyers, games, missed goals, missed opportunities, ex-players, ex-managers making a mess of my weekend. All sorts of things. And to help us go through this this whole smorgasbord of Chelsea-ness, we have none other than Mr Gary Hayes and no Andy Saunders. Gary, hello, how are you? Hello, Kerry. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Bad back, but there we go. Oh, my gosh. Am I going to hear anything more about this back of yours? When was the last time you slept, Gary? Last week. <laughs> Well, you look quite well on it. You, d- you don't look oh. peaky at all. You must sleep less. That's what I'd say. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, um, I, was, I was away last week and I had to do all the heavy lifting where I went. So Heavy the pers- lifting? The person I was travelling with was um, a lightweight. the best. Yeah. Uh, okay, <laughs> I know what you're getting at because you were travelling with me, but we can't say any more about that. Um, and also, we have here, for his very first appearance on the Chills, it's none other than the Athletics' very own Simon Johnson, formerly of the Evening Standard as well. Simon, welcome to the show. It's lovely to have you here. My pleasure. Would you like me to talk about all my ailments to start with? Or Oh, please. We, we love an <laughs> ailment corner. Yes, please do. Life. Life is my ailment. <laughs> Chelsea FC is your ailment. <laughs> yeah. che- che- Chelsea certainly, you know, yeah, on an annual basis. I, I always blame them for my hair loss. <laughs> I, was, I was a fit, young, healthy man when I started this job. And here we are over 20 years later and 
yeah, none of those things remain the case. <laughs> so, I, does it amaze you that that you've spent so much of your career covering Chelsea? Because at the Standard, I mean, it was it was the the way to find out Chelsea news daily when 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 you were doing that. Uh, you know, I, that was one thing I really missed when I left London was Evening Standard and seeing the Chelsea news. Of course, things have moved on since then, and we're we're up to date with news, but. Could you ever imagine that you would have ended up Chelsea to Chelsea and and now at the Athletic doing it? Uh, imagine no, uh, hope to because it's it's a uh, throughout it, its history the club has always been a great story. Um, it's a remarkable football club um, because you know when they're doing well, there's always a crisis around the corner, and vice versa. There's a crisis, and then suddenly. They do something extraordinary um, and their stories, whether it's on the pitch, off the pitch, um, I think very few clubs can compete with the sheer, uh, it's like a potpourri of of uh, content that, that this club generates. And this season, it's just been another example, probably the most bonkers, you know, I, I always tell this to people, I may even tell this to you before when, when we've spoken that, just when you think Chelsea have ticked every single box you can think of, no, they've all, there's always something else up the sleeve. There's but always a sanction around the corner. I, I, I never, yeah, I must admit, sanctions sort of being connected to a war, you know, uh, owner, but no. It's extraordinary, isn't it? And actually, because I was going to say to you, how has this last few weeks been since the sanctions started? Because it all blew up into stories left, right and centre. And then it all calmed down a bit while the process was going on. And then people were going, well, it's gone a bit quiet. And then just when you announce the, the preferred bidder, <laughs> it, it comes to so Ratcliffe. It's a Chelsea thing. You know, I mean, it's kind of my point. You know, even the takeover can't be like a smooth... Although one always has to remember and bear this in mind, as frustrating as it is for everyone, you know, fans, the club, to call the players, that this is still going actually very quickly. You know, look, I, I know Abramovich sort of set the a ridiculous benchmark back in 2003 when, when he took it over in, in rapid style, but that's extremely unusual. Uh, takeovers of this um, magnitude involving this kind of money, it does tend to take a long time. And we're only at just over two months. It, hopefully the end's in sight. I keep saying that. I feel like I've been saying it for a while now. But we, we should always bear in mind that this is actually going reasonably quickly. It's just the curveballs, the the daily tittle-tattle is getting a bit wearisome, isn't it, for everyone? Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. And I think the one thing you don't need is members of government going, oh, they mm. need to hurry up. Well, hold on, we, you've set deadlines, there's yeah. dates in there. And, and it looks as though somehow it's going on course because you, you're quite right. Um, it was different. When, when Chelsea was sold, that was 130-odd million or whatever, um, and that seemed like a lot of money then. But you're talking billions now. I mean, this is the most extraordinary moment in a football club sale, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I think all the talk is this will be the most expensive um, purchase of a, of a sporting franchise. I know that's a really sensitive word, 
But hey, we've got to go American because uh, that's that's where Chelsea are heading. Uh, but in in history, like this, will be the most expensive club. So yeah, it's not like you can whip out your your, your credit card and <laughs> say and and get some loyalty points on it. Some air miles. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, although it could help pay for some of Chelsea's travelling, uh, which uh, <laughs> which they need. Which they yeah, need. they can stop flying Ryanair. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I so, just wanted um, to ask Simon. You, yeah. you describe Chelsea covering Chelsea as a potpourri. Mm. What is the smell of that potpourri? Because I'm imagining there's some. What right now? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, sorry, I, I'm imagining there's some uh, cow pat in there or something like that. Surely. Well, oh, the oh, the cow pout or something. Uh, there is a strong stench emanating from Goodison Park. <laughs> um, we, we will get onto that stench. And, and later. to be fair, to be fair, there's been quite a whiff around Stamford Bridge for most of the season. We know our season tickets aren't worth anything like they were at the start of the season, are they, Kerry? <laughs> well, well, I don't know. I mean, to be fair, I missed so much of the season uh, through what had happened to me that I thought I have to say, going back to Stamford Bridge, and I've said it on here a few times. I kind of didn't even mind when we were losing because I was going, I'm back, I'm back at Chelsea. Now it's wearisome. Now it's hard work at at Chelsea. Um, uh, And it just looks as though, and we'll get on to the games in in particular, but don't you think the the players seem to look weary now? I mean, we've been told for ages that they're tired, but they actually look like it. And I don't know whether that's just a combination of the games or combination of the games and the not knowing what's going on with the club. I mean, you're there and, and you're around that atmosphere quite a bit, Simon. Have you noticed a, a change in, in the atmosphere? I've noticed a change since Real Madrid. I, I, I don't think anyone should underestimate the mental impact of Chelsea going out of the Champions League has made on the squad and the, and the manner in which they went out. Because... Essentially, I mean that was a brilliant performance of the Bernabeu. They 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 almost made amends for the the, the hash they made of the, the first leg. Um, but you've got to put it in the in your head. Like it, it's easy. People sort of dismiss tiredness as a factor, or or the mentality of football as a factor. But players are human beings. So after being knocked out, they're essentially going one. They've, they're, they're trying to come to teal terms with that setback and it is a significant one because they know they should have won that tie like they caught they lost that tie Real Madrid didn't win it in my opinion as good as Benzema was and as sublime as that Modric assist was Chelsea were very charitable at both ends of the pitch but after that so they've got to deal with that that devastation they've lost their Champions League crown in their head they're thinking well what have we got to play for this season and I know, I know people are going, oh, what are you talking about? Top four. I think mentally in their minds, they're kind of thinking, well, we've kind of done it. They can't win the league. So they're in this kind of, you know, can't really lose it, can't really win it. I mean, they can lose it now after the results they've had, but I'm just sort of going back to the Real Madrid game. And then, and then I do think tiredness is a, is a factor. You know, they, they have played more games than anyone else. And of course, Tuchel is increasingly picking the same players. So tiredness is becoming even more of a factor. Um, I think his selection between United and Everton, with the benefit of hindsight, of course, but it was a mistake because that was a very tired performance at, at Everton, a very predictable one as well. I mean, I called it on straight out of column. 
on uh, on Friday. I knew it was coming um, because it was a tired, unmotivated team against a team that was fully rested with they had to win that game with the, the, the home crowd behind them too. Uh, Gary, I, do you think that it says something about what Tuchel thinks of his squad and again, we'll talk about specific games in a minute, that actually there was one change made between those games that actually you've got players like Aspi and Thiago, who at the ages they're at, perhaps shouldn't be playing two high-profile games in three days. Are you? Does that show that he doesn't trust an awful lot of his squad players at the moment, Gary? Probably. I think it shows as well where there's gaps in this squad. We've said it a long, a long, long time, haven't we, that... I think when you match Chelsea's first 11 up, I think they go pound to pound with Liverpool and City. Different styles, but I think they do. I think you've seen that, especially in the games with Liverpool this season. But I think that when you look at the squad, when you go beyond that 11, that's where you start seeing the gaps where suddenly if he's pulling you know, the likes of Mount and others out, you're looking at players like Barkley. That, you know, Ross Barkley in this Chelsea side now, just, you know, that's, it's, it's, just, it's just a really poor squad overall I think I think there's been a lot of money spent there's very good players in there but then we said it just the other week didn't we how Tuchel really he's put his mark on this team but he's still dealing with players from Conte's era right through to Sarri and Lampard and then he signed Lukaku's the only sign he's made isn't it um, pretty, pretty, much. pretty much. I mean, Saul on loan and so yeah, Saul on loan and, and, and Bettinelli is the, the yeah. third choice. So, so you look in, you think that his squad is an amalgam of, of three different managers who played three different styles, and then you do get left with a deadwood of Ross Barkley, and then you, you can start pointing at loan players as well. But I think that this still isn't his squad, and I think that you're seeing that he's laying a marker down for what his team is, but then beyond that, he hasn't really got much in terms of backup. I think you look at Liverpool and City, who they can bring off the bench, and I know Chelsea's still got Ziyech and Pulisic as key players in that, but I think in other areas, such as central midfield, I think Chelsea are really lightweight. Even Loftus-Cheek, playing as many games as he is now, I think he's doing okay, but he's not the level of player that you'd expect Chelsea to have. You look at Chelsea of old, and um, yeah, we were talking about it just the other day, Kerry. You think that at one time Chelsea had a midfield of Lampard, Balak, and Essien, and they still had someone like Mikel to come in, you know, and, and, and others. Ch- Chelsea have always had, in the last 20 years or so, have had that strength in depth, whereas now it's sort of become this patchwork quilt of a squad that isn't quite there. And do, do you think, Simon, we're talking about squads, how disconcerting is this whole period of inertia that we're getting from the club? I presume they can't even... Well, we don't know who will be running things anyway at the club under new ownership. Um, so there can't even be any conversations with anybody from anybody who perhaps may not mean anything in, in a month or two's time. How much work often gets done around this sort of time of a season with the summer in mind and transfers in and transfers out, and we're not able to be thinking like that? A lot, a significant amount. I mean, obviously, they'd have started it already uh, before the sanctions hit. Um, I, I think the best example to cover this subject is Tony Rudiger, um, who had... it. This is a bit of a bungled operation, as far as I'm concerned. Um, Chelsea could and should have wrapped this up a long time ago, much just like Andreas Christensen 
but they chose to barter, which of course is within Chelsea's right. Um, they obviously sort of wanted to come down to a figure that that you know that would would suit them. They've got a wage bill they do have to control, so so it's understandable. But uh, there there was an offer to Rudiger made in August. Um, then there was no talks of any significant nature till late December. Um, and then, but then, and Rudiger was thinking, I'm, I'm going to go, it's all over. Um, but then things got really positive. And in February, a few weeks before it all went, um, all went, uh, how shall I put it, all went wrong. <laughs> almost, almost shows up, almost shows other, other words. Um, th- th- they got very close. They got very close. And, and despite sort of Chelsea not wanting to pay exactly what Rudy was asked for, there was still a feeling on both sides that an agreement would, would, would happen. And then, of course, sanctions can't negotiate. Rudiger st- still waits till, what, the end of April. That's a long time. And, in fact, it's, it's, it's his performance at the Bernabeu, which didn't help either because Real Madrid went, oh, yes, we, who'd liked him for a long time made an offer early in the year, saw that and went, oh, actually, yeah, we want you, da, da, da. But sanctions did play a part in Rudy Gervais saying, I can't wait anymore. I can't wait anymore. Like, I'm out of contract in a few months. I've got to make a decision about my, my life. I can't just wait for this. Like, when will there be an end point? No one's telling me, oh, wait a couple of weeks, it will be sorted. Nothing. Um, but, yeah, so Rudy is a classic example. But, yeah, generally, of course, you know, Chelsea, Chelsea have been, there are targets on their wish list I can't talk to them. And the best signings we've made in the past have always been done quite quickly after the yeah. season. I'm thinking Costa and Fabregas that summer. That's you just the benchmark. That is was it? an incredible. That was an incredible window, wasn't it? Before the World Cup started, we had them in the bag. We'd won the league by then. Yeah. No, it was incredible. Yeah, and and whilst and whilst they haven't re- really worked out, you know, in, they got Ziyech done. What in? He was actually announced in February. Uh, of 220 you had Werner done by May I think um so that the 2020 was sort of Havertz had been worked on for quite a long time um so make no mistake whenever this takeover is done Chelsea are playing catch-up like big time um and as far as keeping players goes it like Christensen's off Rudiger's off as for the quota despite that one-year option being triggered still very very possible he's off you know it's uh, the squad needs Gary's right like in many ways sort of the Real Madrid game certainly the first leg I thought was a real sort of yeah you can see that this squad has almost come to an end of its cycle and it needs refreshing but then you could say that most years but you really feel like it's starting to come to an end Jorginho you could argue Angola Conte you know, there's decisions to be made there. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, as I said, never a dull moment, a potpourri, and it's, um, yeah, it could get a stronger whiff over the next few months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it needs freshening up, that's for sure. Um, Simon, sorry, just one quick, one more question. What what do you think is most pressing for Chelsea once oof. the takeover is done, whether it's Ratcliffe or Bowley, whoever yeah. gets the club? Do you think it's more pressing that Chelsea come in with a windfall of contracts for key players like Mason Mount and James, because we're seeing, which I'm sure Kerry will allude to what you've written in the athletic um, yeah. about clubs sniffing around those players. Or do you think it's 
more important that they look at how they're going to replenish the squad? It's a brilliant question because the two go hand in hand. Don't flatter him too much. He won't be able to cope. <laughs> so I, I don't buy into this idea that, that Mount and James came through the academy, therefore they're going to be a minus conspiracy. Yeah, minus conspiracy theories. They're going to be modern day Matt Letizia's. I, I don't buy that. I think these are kids who are, I say kids, these are well, young men who are ambitious. They, they, I guess they would stay at Chelsea if they could, but if, they're get, if, if Chelsea aren't showing that ambition, why would you stay? Well, I don't know whether you've been reading some of the delightful comments <laughs> that my piece generated. Let's just say... <laughs> I saw I'm, on social media. <laughs> let, let's, oh, right, OK. Let, let's just say that there was a strong whiff uh, being aimed in my direction. I think people thought my, my article stank. <laughs> the, um, the Simon Johnson potpourri. Yeah. I, I tell you, that's going to be the title of this week's show, A Strong Whiff. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the thing is, I knew, I knew that it would get that kind of reaction. Uh, I even said in part of the copy, you know, I can I can hear the readers say, well, Chelsea won't sell. Duh, duh, duh. But I knew I knew what kind of reaction would get. But just because it's not what you want to hear doesn't mean I don't write it. You're, you're piercing uh, it, to the heart of every fan's fear. Yeah, yeah. And, and and I understand I understand that and I understand why the automatic reaction is oh the Chelsea boys they won't want to leave. You know, obviously. And, and I'm I'm not even questioning their commitment because like anyone can see, you know, that they're that they're like for, for example, their performance at Old Trafford was, was fantastic. But it's difficult because it's not just about those two. Those two are, I, I know they were mentioned in the piece, but one of the reasons I mentioned them was because there is this kind of arrogance that, oh well, they're all right. We just have to worry about these ones over here. No. Do you, do you really think, do you really think, the question I want to ask people that were very critical, and look, I can take it, you know, it's part of the job, um, unfortunately, but do you <laughs> really think that clubs out there aren't going, oh, Chelsea, this is a great time. Chelsea have done this to a number of clubs. For 19 years, Chelsea. Did. They've gone, right, how much do you want? We'll pay this, do that. This is a great time to go after Chelsea, Chelsea's best players. And it, it's very difficult because there's only so much I can say in these, these kind of pieces. But, but, you know, all I can say is I don't write these kind of things to, as people put it, as clickbait to, to sort of just put something out there to, to generate hits. I don't do that, you know. And certainly at The Athletic, they wouldn't stand for that. I write it because... There are people telling me these things, and it's and it's something to be worried about. Now, look, the new owners might come in on, on the very first day, call play the best players in. Again, I hesitate to just focus on those two, but they'll and go right. Let's have a meeting. Bang! This is what you're getting. We're going to whack your wages up, and this is who we're going to buy. And and next day they're in front of the. I'm on the Chelsea app going, I've signed for five years and I love this place and I never want to leave. And no doubt I'll get loads of people going, ah, <laughs> your story was rubbish. <laughs> but there's also a very strong chance or a possibility that doesn't happen. And, you know, Rudiger and Christensen's contract situations, negotiations, etc., right? on and on and on. And look what's happened. And people went, oh, you know, there were people saying, oh, well, they're different situations. No, no. 
This isn't, isn't that the whole point. I was just going to say, and that's the whole point because. Going back to your initial point about Chelsea, it is kind of a case of when you least expect it, expect it. And that's Mm. the thing. Yeah, everything can be going swimmingly with Rudiger down the line. Nobody saw the sanctions coming. Nobody, I would have thought, inside the club would have seen that. And when it happened, it was so quick that there was no, you, you had no default course of action to take. So consequently, you have to understand that Anything can happen. If it's not signed, sealed, delivered, nothing yeah. is certain. Well, and, 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 and just jumping in there, Kerry, that, that Christensen was a classic example because I myself wrote, I wasn't the only one, back in August, thought the deal was done or pretty much done. That we, we, I was aware that there were a few things still needed to be sorted out, but there was confidence on both sides it was going to get sorted. What I've learned subsequently is that those little things weren't actually so little. And the longer those were left unresolved, then it gave time for things to go wrong. Um, Christensen to just suddenly decide, well, actually, maybe I don't want to stay three years. All all the the sort of feeling is, oh, it's all Christensen's fault. He's flip-flopped. I mean, maybe there'll come a point where I I can explain the other side of events. for the athletic, but it's not as simple as people might think that, oh, it's just all Christensen's fault and the club coming up smelling of roses. Um, they made mistakes too. And, and it is a, it's been a costly one because um, they are now losing two centre-backs that they could get a fortune for in the transfer market for nothing. So not only have they lost them from the, from the team, from the squad, they've also lost the money that their transfer would have generated and and questions should be asked about that yeah and this is this is the the whole crux of gamesmanship at what point does gamesmanship become too dangerous to play and Mm -hmm. unfortunately i think we've been caught out with this prevaricating and going oh well we'll only give you this because you know the, the the stories are only a certain amount was offered to rudiger and it was like take it or leave it Mm -hmm. and then he said well i'll leave it they go Hmm, okay, there's a pause. And it just keeps on perpetuating when actually, really, sometimes you've just got to sit down and do the deal, get it nailed, get it done, because you don't know what's round the corner, especially in the world of Chelsea. Well, and, and, and look at the disparity between what the underperforming forward players are getting paid compared with the, for most part, okay, not so much the last five, six months, um, but for the most part, the defenders that effectively won them the Champions League or certainly played a massive part, what they've been getting paid and, and what they've been offered as well. Um, you can understand that players talk in the dressing room, there's going to be inevitable feelings of resentment. Chelsea benefited from this with Ashley Cole. Yeah. Ashley Cole went, people, I, I still, I always raise Ashley Cole as a great example because it was spun in a way that made Ashley Cole look bad. But the point he made was a valid one. Okay, it was clumsily expressed. And people went, oh, what are you complaining about? 65 grand a week. It wasn't about the sum. It was the sum compared to his peers in the dressing room. And he's going, hang on, I'm possibly the best left back in the world. And yet there's people on double what I'm earning. That's the point. And it's the point that will be in any Chelsea gesture, not just Chelsea's. And, and players are going to understandably sort of question if they're being offered a half 
of what other players are on who aren't doing anything for the team, you know, it's going to cause a problem. And players are more and more savvy in the modern era. And you say about Ashley Cole Day, like you say, it's the principle of it. And if you're being billed as the the play, the defender in this side that is the linchpin of it or has been for that period, whether it's been for 18 months or three years, and you know there's a Belgian striker who's doing nothing or not even playing, you know, you know the money's there when the club wants to put it up. So why why would you take it? These players know their value, especially yeah. someone like in Rudiger's position. It's the cliche last major contract of his career. He's late twenties. He's got every right to go out. He's got, why should he have loyalty to Chelsea if they haven't got it towards him? And this is, I think, where fans get things confused. Obviously, we're Kerry and I are just fans. I've seen it from the other side of it, but we're just fans, and you, you want them to be loyal to to the club. But I just think that. We, we hark on about a, a golden era at Chelsea, especially, or just football in general. But this is an age-old tale in football. Just look at Chelsea where Peter Osgood, you know, to, and to put it into Mason Mount and Rhys James territory, Peter Osgood was a kid from the, you know, the so-called academy back then. He went off to Southampton at the drop of a hat when his head was turned after falling out with Dave Sexton. Alan Hudson did the same. Ray Wilkins went on to Man United when he was Chelsea's youngest ever captain. This happens. And Chelsea right now, obviously Simon knows more so than we do, but Chelsea are up up the creek without a paddle at the moment. And it's got to get sorted quick because the gems in the, in the, you know, the jewels in the crown being Mount, Mount and James in this instance, if Chelsea lose them, they, they were a, a, you know, a symbol of what the academy can produce and they're a great badge of honour for the club, but they could become you know, a significant stick with which to beat us with as well. It could be embarrassing. Yeah, no, I, I think you're quite right. But, but it's interesting, this, this idea of loyalty and what we consider as loyalty. I, I think, as you say a lot, Gary, this is a job for, for these guys. And at the end of the day, you have to look after yourself. It's a short window that they have to earn money. It's a very different age. And, and I think really to qualify, if you remember, people used to be awarded a testimonial after 10 years playing. Maybe they should drop it to five years now or something or, or even three years because that can be quite long service. I mean, you know, it, it's extraordinary how we have changed and how the game of football has changed. But, um, but look, we should probably move on to, to one of the actual games now. We should, we should have a little chat about United because with all this going on, we're still going up to Old Trafford to play a right pony outfit, supposedly, <laughs> and that we were going to be able to walk into Old Trafford, take three points like so many other people have done this season. Um, and how did you see the team that was put out, Gary? And what were your feelings? Did you think we would go over there and turn them over? Well, when you see the lineup again, you can sort of just predict how the game's going to be played. You see the midfield and you just know immediately it's going to be this laborious style. And I think that United, of all teams, are there to be got at. And Chelsea, I don't, they seem we seem to get at teams, but then we sort of just don't feel capable of you know throwing that killer blow, do we? They, they seem to get in positions and they're very you know they're, they're profligate in front of goal. You see the you know the, the um, opportunity to have it's had where he's one on one with. De Gea and De Gea gets the praise for the save, but really it's a it's an effort that Havertz should be burying. And it, I'll just get really confused watching it at the moment. And we were talking leading up to the game, we were doing our predictions, and I was just, at a, you know, I was stressing over what I would say because I, I don't know what to say. Because if, if the Chelsea from Real Madrid turn up, 
they're wiping United off the park and it's going to be an embarrassing scoreline for United. But this United team is so poor, yet we still left them in the game. We have that ability just to leave the door open all the time. We, we even did it with Real Madrid to a lesser extent, I guess. But, you know, we just have that ability to keep teams in games. Rather than them holding on, we sort of just allow them back in where we've, you know, we score through Alonso. Really good finish, good goal. And really, we should be closing that game out. And then a couple of minutes later, we, we're conceding like we did against Brentford. You know, Rudiger scores his one goal in a thousand shots. And then you think that Chelsea, it's Brentford, they're just going to close this game out now. They, they rode their luck in the first half. They're going to close the game out and then they end up getting stuffed. And United, just such a poor, poor team. They're such a poor team. And Chelsea's letting them back in. It's so frustrating. Yeah, but it, you have to say, it is good fun listening to Gary Neville talk about United on any <laughs> game now. I mean, how miserable can one man be? You know, it's, uh, And he was even t- so rude about them against us. But, but th- this is the thing, isn't it? Chelsea don't have that killer instinct, Simon. Um, and this has actually been going on. It's far more than just the last few months. This has been going on for quite some yes. time. Yeah. So, Since yeah, Costa what you, left. Yeah, absolutely. And so what are your thoughts on that, Simon? Why can't we? We've got these fantastically gifted players, but no one seems to have a killer instinct. Well, if I, if I knew the complete answer, I, I'd be in Thomas Tuchel's seat, wouldn't I? Uh, <laughs> I I'll mean, vote I, for you. I, uh, you might be the only one. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, I mean, I, I wrote my piece um, about it. You know, I know it's been done before. We've been we've chatted about it before. You know, just generally um, as a club, fans, journalists. But three hundred million pounds Chelsea basically spent on forward players, and I'm not talking Ziyech, Pulisic, including that. I'm talking, you know, Lukaku, Havertz, um, Morata, Werner, etc. So you can't accuse the club of not trying to fix the problem since Costa left. But in the two United games, because you have to include the one at the bridge as well, um, 45, 45 shots to, I'm trying to think, the t- I think United had nine. <laughs> 45, nine, just in shots. Now, I know that doesn't take quality of chance. In the, but, and, and the other stats I loved in there, basically everything, if you didn't know the scores, you'd go, well, that's two wins for that team. Two one-all draws. I mean, I wasn't so negative about the performance, I have to say. I mean, I, I was there. United were abysmal, as, as you guys rightly point out. But it wasn't just the chances missed. It was, there were so many um, final balls or or crosses whipped in and the, and the you know, Timo Werner's diving at the back post and doesn't get there. That was that was for Mount. There was a definitely one in the first. Wrong options being taken. And remember Havertz leading a three-on-two break. Takes too long to do the pass. And, and then the pass, the attempts is poor. Yeah, it's, I mean, you could put it down to confidence, obviously. Confidence is a, is, is a part of football, obviously. But you have to say the players just aren't in the, in the same league as... as Didier Drogba and Diego Costa, hard hard men to replace, obviously. But I thought I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be a hypocrite. I thought Lukaku was gonna be the right man. I said it at the start of the season. I we thought all did. The way he started the season, 
the way he started the season even. And I know that the accusation is, oh, he's a flat-track bully. Well, that's what Chelsea need. He's a flat-track bully. Look at all the games they've dropped points against. It's, yeah, OK, they've dropped some against Liverpool Man City. But it did them last season as well. If Chelsea had won those games last season, they'd have been challenging as well. And this season, it's the same thing. Yeah. Brentford, Brighton, you know, when Welbeck gets that late equaliser, yeah. Everton before Christmas. Like oh, saying, loads. That's what they need. There, there, there's, there's loads. There's so many games where you just go, oh my word, you know, they should have won that top striker. And that's what Lukaku is paid for, now, uh, bought for. But his attitude since since the interview um, has stunk to high heaven, unfortunately. Um, yes, Tuchel's obviously played a part too. Um, it's clearly decided he's, he's not for him. But yeah, it's uh, it's very frustrating watching Chelsea uh, United. Um, you asked at the, at the top their carrier belt. You asked Gary. You said, "Oh, you know, did you expect what result? Did you expect?" Well, I, I wasn't surprised because United have got this is the worst United side for a generation. Um, Chelsea haven't beaten them in the league since 2017. They haven't won at Old Trafford, a ground they used to win at regularly at since 2013. It was all there, but it's still remarkable to see in the flesh. <laughs> and Ronaldo had one chance. I mean, that's the story of the game in a way, isn't it? Ronaldo, one chance, one goal, isn't it? How many goals would he get for Chelsea? Or would we ruin him? <laughs> well, the Chelsea, Chelsea striker graveyard. No, I think... I think it's difficult because Ronaldo doesn't do so much of the other stuff, but yeah, all the chances that that we have seen Werner, Havertz, Lukaku miss in the last two seasons. He'd bury him. It, yeah, he'd take them with ease. Yeah, ruthless. Right, well, look, we, we should get rid of that game from our conversation now and uh, we, we focus on the an even worse one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. That's not going to take very long. Um, and yeah, we should actually go to a commercial break. And when we come back, we'll be talking about the Everton game and looking forward, if that's the right thing at the moment, looking forward to our game against Wolves. And we're back. Right, well, that's the misery of a one-all draw with United out of the way. Could it get any worse? Well, we were going to go and see old friends, weren't we? Off to Goodison. This one had such a hallmark of could just be the wrong game at the wrong time against Everton, didn't it, Simon? And it so it panned out. Again, I'm, I, I'll ask you if you were surprised at the way the game panned out, but I'm sure you weren't. But how did you view that game as an overall? And again, were we just too tired? We didn't pick a side. There seems to be no picking anyone in midfield like Saul. He seems to have just gone by the wayside, often on the bench, but doesn't even come on for five minutes. It's the same old thing. It's almost like Tuchel's just picking, as you said, the same players now, game after game. Maybe there's one change for an injury. But it's like we're limping to the end of the season, aren't we? Yeah, and, and, and perhaps sending a message who he wants for next season too, and who, or more to the point, who he doesn't want. Um, was I surprised? No. Um, I've seen Everton-Chelsea games so many times over the years. It's the same game every time. Everton play ugly, physical, in your face. Chelsea sort of seem to be bizarrely flustered and taken by surprise that... 
Everton players are flying in and being aggressive and not letting them have time and space on the ball. Um, Everton scoring an ugly goal and then Chelsea sort of missing the few chances there. It was just like, I was just watching it and just going, this is deja vu. Um, it The weird thing was, it, it was a poor, really poor performance, um, but they did look tired as well. And can anyone be surprised Everton had a full week to prepare? And people dismiss this. Oh, you know, oh, managers use this as an excuse. Well, Chelsea fans if know this better than anyone, the benefit of not having midweek games. The last title win was because, well, not only the only reason, obviously, but Chelsea, as was said all that season, benefited from not being in Europe. They had full, Conte had four weeks to prepare for games. Um, so they benefited from them from a tactical point of view. You could work on things, you could give players, rest them a lot more, etc. So anyway, so the Thursday night, Sunday turnaround was always going to be difficult. Everton had a full week. And then who knows, maybe the sanctions even played a part. You know, yeah. would Chelsea have stayed up there on the Thursday night rather than fly fly in and out as they did to Manchester and then travel um, up on the Saturday night to then be woken up by fireworks, wouldn't, they have, wouldn't it have made more sense in normal times for them to stay up the whole time, find somewhere to train and just take that element out of it as well? So it was a perfect storm, I felt, and, and it, it didn't surprise me one bit. I, I thought it was a hideous storm. Actually. <laughs> We're going back fun. to whiff. Shall we go back to yeah. whiff again? Whiff, yeah, the, it was a whiffy storm, definitely. Gary, what, what were your thoughts? I mean, yeah, tiredness. There's there's something I think is interesting when you talked about 45 to 9 in the Man U game on shots and things, um, that actually, in those games, um, that actually, against Everton, we weren't even getting anything away, apart from hitting the face of Pickford and the inside of the posts uh, and what have you. We didn't create very much at all. And and it it looked laboured, didn't it, Gary? From the first minute when they they took the kickoff and they lofted it up to Richarlison. And then on, um, I forget who it was from Everton, just ran in and won a free kick. And I just thought, oh, here we go. It's going to be one of these erratic scrappy games and the thing is is the manager in the opposite dugout knows that who the players are that don't like it up them in this team and you could just see who they were targeting and who they were going after and fair play to him um but yeah it was just you can like Simon said you can write the script for these Goodison games every season every season when was the last time we beat them there I think it was when we won the league when we beat them 6-3 um when Pedro scored that Lovely goal. Remember? Was it? Yeah, yeah that, that, game? that was that was the that was the three nil. Sorry, I mean, three nil. Sorry, yeah. Six, yeah. The six three. Six three was, was with Jose. It was, was with also Jose. A, also a title winning season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. In fifteen, wasn't it? Um, That's it. In the yellow kit, and I, I just think that when when Chelsea had played <clears> that way against Everton at Goodison, obviously they get the results anyway, but it just shows how to, when managers go up there and they, they want to play a certain way and they, they get in there and they do it, they, they know how to play the game. And I just think it was, it was just odd. And I, just, I think with Tuchel going with just Ruben in the middle over Kante and then having Jorginho start again, I just think that these games just aren't made for Jorginho. I just think that he's easy to be got at and, and he slows everything down so much that when you play Everton at Goodison as well, you need to be turning them quick and getting at them. 
and Chelsea just looks so predictable from the off. And it's it's just a really frustrating, it was a really frustrating game to watch. And again, we had said this, Kerry, last week when we were talking about if Allison, we, we we said what was going to happen and then it happened. And if we're yeah. saying that as, you know, layman's on the terraces, I'm sure Chelsea's um, analysts and their highly experienced, you know, incredibly talented coach knew what knew what the score was. Well, I have to say, maybe they don't and they should be giving us a call because maybe they need the layman's guide to how to play football. But, you know, it's, it's even even down to like Seamus Coleman near the end of the game where he was just... Um, no, sorry, it was, it was at the start. It was, I'm trying to get him, get him confused because there was so much going on, but it was, maybe it was at the start when he got into a scrap of Aspie yeah. and he sort of grabbed Aspie and was pulling him away from Kevin Friend and I was just like, here, here we go. Do you know what I mean? It's just there all the time. And then you even see when... Mount was chasing um, uh, Damari Gray for the ball near the end. And, you know, they're chatting. Mount ends up kicking it out and it goes out for a throw. But you could just see Everton and they were clapping the fans and they were like really pumped in Chelsea's face in the 90th minute. And we fell for it. Yeah, but then Chelsea just sort of just went within themselves as well, where they just didn't really... Maybe if there was something on the line, they might have had a bit more fight in them, but they just sort of thought... Can't really be bothered with this. I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. If there was something more on the line, I think they feel secure in third and go, Well, if it all messes up, we'll get fourth anyway. I think there's a feeling that maybe we're okay. But if if results go in a, in a particular way, we're not going to be safe. I, I think it's a, a slightly insecure position. What do you think, Simon? Well, before this double header, they need seven points maximum from six games. It's now six points maximum for four games. So that that sort of little margin, for, the margin for error is starting to narrow. Um, and the teams behind them, look, they're not very, they're not great teams. Like Chelsea are the third best team in England. Whatever the, even if they finish fourth or. <laughs> this will date very old if they somehow slipped a fifth. Um, but it, it, Arsenal and Tottenham are quite flattered to be this close to Chelsea. It's a, it's a mixture of things, in my opinion. You know, obviously Chelsea falling off a cliff a little bit for, for, for the reasons we've discussed already. Um, the other thing about Chelsea, though, on Sunday, that they were, they were on the whole dreadful, but it never ceases to amaze me, like, the regularity of, at the moment, of every mistake ends in a goal. And even when they have chances, good ones, something freakish happens so they don't score. So whether it be because they're not good enough or, I mean, come on, Mason Mount hit both posts with a shot. That in itself is ridiculous. And then it goes to Azpilicueta, he hits a really good shot, and I'm th- and you're sort of thinking, oh, this is his... He must be going, oh, I'm making amends here for my complete faux pas. And Jordan Pickford, <laughs> the much maligned Jordan Pickford, comes from nowhere and makes arguably the save of the season. Incredible and then, save. And then less yeah, than 60 seconds later, Rudiger, who must have been more fired up than anyone to score against Frank Lampard's team, smashes the ball in Pickford's face. <laughs> so you just sit there going... Oh, this is it's preordained. The script's been written. Like Chelsea will lose at Everton again. Um, Do you know what? I actually thought when it hit him in the face, I said, "Well, at least they'll have to take him off for concussion now." <laughs> and he didn't. He was absolutely fine. That is just not correct. 
it was you're right I, I think when you lux out you lux out you, you get the greatest saves in the world you get the one mistake and it results in a goal for the opposition I lux out and and that is just the way it is but we're not playing well as well um okay. although I'd agree with you at United I thought we were better we played some pretty good stuff at times but okay, well look, we we should finally wrap the the show up by having a quick look forward to Wolves. Now, home games are something to dread at the moment. They've, they've been a difficult experience for quite some time now. Um, how do you see this one panning out? And we do this dreadful thing where we also ask people to give a prediction of the score. So, so <laughs> you know, you. it's all right. Everyone everyone forgets what they've said unless they get it right. Um, but yeah, I mean, how do you see this one? I mean, Wolves should be not particularly interested in playing a game and maybe this will give us a chance to get three of those six needed points. Perhaps it brings back memories of the uh, the end of the 2019-20 season where Wolves were the visitors and Chelsea, I think, had to win that game to secure top four. And it obviously, whilst it's not the final game of the season, it's still got that, right, this is an important fixture now. Um and Chelsea's home record, funny enough, is going to have to be what salvages this top four situation because the three of the last four are at home. Good time to play Wolves. You know, they, they seem to have fallen into the same trap Chelsea are in many ways. If there's not, not much to play for. Um, just got thumped 3-0 by Brighton. Um, I'm going to... I'm, I'm going to say the nervousness will continue, though, and it's going to be one all. Because oh, Chelsea, because this is what Chelsea do, you know. It's going back to the top of the show. It's the oh, let let's just make as much of a story out of this as possible. Yeah, <laughs> okay. going to the final game of the season, Kerry. Get ready. Okay, I, I can see it. It's Watford. It's uh, that's what we're, what it, what we're all banking on. And as long as they don't want to leave the Premier League with a bang, you know. But uh, let's see, Gary. Like, what Watford are probably thinking? God, if only we were in the run to <laughs> yeah. stay up because we, yeah, we've got yeah. Chelsea. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, you know, well, you know <laughs> that's what play Chelsea. You know that's what Leeds are thinking right now. Yeah, exactly. I, I, yeah. I tweeted that to to that effect last night and got some predictable responses of a rather negative variety. But it's true, Leeds must be going, oh, well, tough run. Oh, Chelsea, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Chelsea, well, yeah. At Ellen Road as well. It's like, how's Je- Jesse Marsh look at Goodison and think we'll play that way against them? Yeah. Totally. They're, they'll get stuck into us. There's no doubt about it. They've got the players who'll get in there. I think so, our yeah. saving grace as well, though, in this, um, in this hunt for the top four, just to sort of close it out finally, is that Arsenal and... Spurs do play each other, so one of them's dropping points at least. So it sort of gives us an extra cushion on top of everything yeah. else, doesn't it? And the and the goal difference. Yeah, so it's sort of if Chelsea manage to screw this up somehow from this position, it will be pretty incredible. But you'd expect them not to. I look at Wolves as well, and yeah, the the cliche of the beach, right? <laughs> They've been on that for a while. Um, I'm going to go two nil on this one, in the hope that we can do something. Well, I, I'm going to go, I'm going to come up with something ridiculous. I'm going to say Lukaku comes on in the 80th minute and scores in the 89th. 1-0 Chelsea. <laughs> Whew, thank God for that. I feel better now. Well, if that, if that is the case, and, and this is, you know, I know you guys want to wrap up, but um, the, the significance of what's happened in the last two games is it does 
put a question mark on Tuchel's team selection at Leeds. If if Chelsea had won these two games, then it's Tuchel can then rotate, play some of the ga- uh, players you've mentioned that are a bit hacked off at the moment, rest the, the first team guys for the cup final. Um, but even if they beat Wolves, you know, can he do that? Can he afford to sort of say, oh, you know, We'll, we'll finish it at home against Leicester and Watford. Yeah, that's, that's quite a little gamble to take. So, um, yeah, that, that's that's another problem with what they've just done is that, yeah, the Liverpool Cup final game, which I think, rightly or wrongly, will define how this season is viewed. You know, if Chelsea win that, everyone's feeling upbeat again and all think, well, you know, it's been a really hard season and they've still won three competitions and lost in the final in another one and we're in the title race until injuries and COVID start taking its toll. But lose that final and everyone will be like, yeah. It's three FA Cup finals in a row as well. That's not a good look. That's not no. a good look for this squad, for these players. Because, uh, you know, the, the the common belief is that you get to a final first as young players and you lose it only to go on and win it. You know, because you learn from that experience. But they would have done back-to-back-to-back losses and really, you look at the first two, and they should have won them. Really, you know, they, yeah, they should have beaten Arsenal. They should have beaten Leicester. And don't forget, they lost Cup final seventeen and the League Cup final nineteen. So Wembley used to be the you know Chelsea would go turn up there and win. Um, yeah, it's completely flipped. Now it's flipped. So yeah, yeah you're right, Gary. Um, you know, you're good at winning semi-finals there, and they get to the final push. Yeah, and it's 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 strange. It's strange how that's happened with this group of players because you think that they would be a bit more streetwise in the finals now. And somehow Leicester were last year. The year before, I know um, Pulisic goes off and Aspi goes off and then Kovacic gets sent off. But really, they should have closed that game out against Arsenal as well. They were the much better team. Yeah. And of course, of course, just also forgot to mention the League Cup final against Liverpool, which yeah. in fairness, they, they, they played really well and, and well... I think that was with Real Madrid. I think that was our best performance this calendar year. Those two games. I think yeah. that's when you've you've seen well, what this team is really, really capable of. But Gary, it's a case of Gary's got this thing about that he says that Chelsea always raise their game to the level of the people they're playing against, or lower it to the to the level. So by that thinking. Liverpool, we should give a good account of ourselves. But I agree with you, Simon. I, th- I think we do need to win this one. Um, and I think that sets everything up in a wonderful kind of way. Well, look, we are out of time. So, Gary, thank you as always. I never got to tell my story. Which story? Oh, tell us a story. Cause no, because you were saying, how do you know, Simon? I said, oh, have I never told you this? And it was actually based around a final with Liverpool. So I was, um, Simon was working for an agency called Haters. Back way back when, and you would you would have been doing the standard work through haters, wouldn't you? Then Simon, all sorts, potpourri, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, I was fresh out of uni with my own um, stench of potpourri, um, and I was Oliver Twist with my cap out, and um, yeah, Simon took me under his wing, Kerry. The, it was the day after Chelsea had beaten Liverpool in the um, 2005 League Cup final, and I went into the Tottenham Hale office, and they went, "Oh, Simon, you got to look after this kid." He took me everywhere. Took me to Cobham. We sat in the plough as Simon wrote wrote up his uh, his press conference notes after Jose. We remember those old um, porter cabins. Yeah, yeah. So that that's how long I've known Simon for, Kerry. Poor he, man. He looked <laughs> yeah. after he looked after me 
when I knew nothing and he's looking after me again. Now I know even less. <laughs> so actually you've got him to blame. He could have cut you loose years ago. Yeah. I'm there just hanging off the, the dregs of Simon's potpourri. <laughs> sounds like one of the comments on my pieces that <laughs> <laughs> well look, we are we are out of time i am glad to know how you two know each other from the beginning uh gary thank you as always for being on the show simon thank you so much for being on here it's great having you on here it's great to hear some sensible thoughts you know normally it's me and gary just talking a load of old nonsense but no thank you it's been much appreciated and uh yeah everyone out there keep the faith keep the blue flag flying high come on you chills if you want to advertise on or sponsor this show check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk sports social podcast network step into the world of power loyalty and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.